my name is Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we serve this amazing community of faith here in the Southwest London Vineyard. It's wonderful to see you, as uh, others have said. And if you're new here or visiting, you're incredibly welcome. Uh, before we go kind of any further, I just I had a real sense this morning. There's just an incredible sense of the presence of the Lord here this morning. Um, and his nearness and dearness. Um, just in a very kind of still, very unhurried, very peaceful, but kind of actually very heavy way. And I would just encourage you this morning just to sit and soak in God's presence. You don't have to do anything, there's nothing you have to do, just be still and let the Spirit of God uh, minister to you uh, in a minute, in a few minutes. Uh, we will make some space to pray and, and minister to one another. But I would encourage you just to allow the Spirit of God to be ministering to you throughout the course of this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to start in verse 9. It says this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And many of you will know Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Psalter. It's actually the longest chapter in the entire uh, Bible. It's the most incredibly, beautifully crafted uh, poem. All the kind of gifts of language and grammar and theology have all kind of gone into putting this uh, together. You may know that there are apparently 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and there are 22 stanzas in Psalm 119, and each one of those stanzas has eight uh, lines, sort of eight propositions, if you like, and uh, each mentions God's word again and again and again and again, and each one of those stanzas um, starts with uh, each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in, in sequence. It's this most beautiful peon of praise, celebrating the scriptures and celebrating the God who has given us his word to bless us and to bring us closer to him. In verse 16, it says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Over the past few weeks, we've been doing a series uh, looking at the Old Testament to hopefully ensure that we continue to delight in God's decrees. Uh, hopefully remind us that we uh, are not to neglect his word as uh, together we seek to love God and love one another. In the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, we see Jesus regularly asking what are quite often challenging questions. Uh, and throughout the gospels, there's a question that Jesus asks, and he does it in kind of various ways in different uh, contexts, sometimes when speaking with disciples, uh, other times when challenging the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. But again and again, Jesus asks this. He says, 
have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read the scriptures? Have you not read the law? Have you not read? And time and time again, Jesus puts this question to those who are kind of quizzing him, uh, saying that the answer, in essence, uh, to whatever question it may be that they are asking, and usually they're trying to trip him up and trick him, but the answer to whatever it is they're asking is to be found in a right understanding and a right interpretation and a right application of God's word, the Bible. Have you not read the scriptures, Jesus said? Because Jesus had read them. Jesus had read them. Jesus' whole ministry and teaching, they were framed by the Old Testament scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verses 18 to 19, it says that Israel's king... Uh, as soon as he comes to office, is to write out for himself a whole copy of Israel's law, the law of Moses, and he is to read it every day. And it says in Scripture that it is to be with him every day so that he might fear the Lord. And of course, Jesus is uh, Israel's king, as king of kings and lord of lords. He didn't have to write it out uh, by hand, he'd inspired it, he'd lived his life framed by it, and he carries it, and he carried it with him every day. When Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tested and tempted by Satan, how does he respond? He responds with the scriptures. Jesus uh, says to Satan, it is written. It is written, and he quotes scripture to the devil, which ends the temptation and the torment right like in an instant, in that moment. Jesus could cite the scriptures because he lived and breathed uh, the scriptures. And when trials and temptations come our way, as inevitably they will, we need to be able to cite the scriptures in the same way. Jesus, just in that encounter with the devil, Jesus uses Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Psalm 91, verses 11 to 12, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He likes Deuteronomy. But he uses these words. He uses the scripture. He uses the Old Testament. And the enemy believes him. He says, we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These are the words that proceed from the mouth of God, words that have been heard and recorded and written and treasured and transmitted, words that are there to mediate God uh, to us and to direct our lives with God. This is a book of life. Jesus' earthly ministry begins, as you'll well know, with uh, Jesus in Nazareth, he's in a synagogue, and he's reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It's in Luke chapter 4, and he declares that this day in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Because Jesus fulfills the scriptures. The scriptures come from him, and they all point to him. They all lead to him. We've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, but at the end of his life after uh, the resurrection, as he accompanies the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus opens up the scriptures to them, all of which pointed to himself 
and demonstrated that the things that had just happened, you know, his crucifixion, his resurrection, all of those things had to happen in order that prophecy might be fulfilled. And in response to their encounter with this Jesus, who they didn't recognize at the time, they said in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? These words of life, these scriptures, this book causes our hearts to burn within us. Uh, Throughout his uh, ministry on earth, Jesus quotes directly from 24 Old Testament books, quotes directly from the Old Testament at least three dozen times, uh, quoting Exodus and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and the Psalms uh, the most. Uh, In fact, he, as I've already said, he quoted from Deuteronomy pretty often, and yet ironically for many theologians, Deuteronomy remains one of the most contested and most debated and most dissected sort of books of the Old Testament. But Jesus legitimizes it. He quotes from it. He even rebukes the devil from it. And Jesus saw himself as the interpreter and the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. There can be no understanding of them without understanding him, and there can be no understanding of him without understanding them. Jesus' life and ministry fulfilled an estimated 350 Old Testament prophecies. Jesus says to the Pharisees in the New Testament, he says, you've got it, you've got it so wrong. That's a paraphrase. You've got it wrong, you've got it wrong. And why have they got it so wrong? Matthew 22, verse 29 says this, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He says, you are in error, you are mistaken, you're wide of the mark, you're deceived. Why? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. We need the power of God. We need the spirit of God, yes, absolutely. And we need the scriptures. We need the scriptures. Jesus asks, have you not read the scriptures? Jesus had. Uh, The apostles had. In uh, Acts chapter 2, we read that in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that teaching that they're talking about, they devoted themselves to, that was from the Old Testament scriptures. That's what they were teaching. And they were teaching the Old Testament scriptures with Jesus as the commentary and Jesus as the interpretation and Jesus as the fulfillment of those scriptures. The apostolic writings in the New Testament quote the Old Testament some like 343 times. They accept its authority. The New Testament has over 2,300 references and allusions and parallels to the Old Testament. It really is, as Augustine famously said, that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. The New Testament is not like some appendix or epilogue to the Old Testament. The New Testament books are about fulfillment, about promises kept, or as Augustine put it, the old is in the new revealed. The climax of the Old Testament is the New Testament. Mysteries are declared, shadows swallowed by 
light. And as followers of Jesus, we may well be members of the new covenant. But as new covenant believers, we must not only be New Testament people, we must be whole Bible people. Uh, here in the vineyard, if you can cast your mind back uh, to maybe when you first joined, uh, to the vineyard person, uh, you will remember, uh, this is, I think Jermaine should be appearing behind me, I say that in faith. Um, but here in the vineyard, we stand on the word of God. We stand unapologetically and unashamedly on the word of God. The scriptures are our foundation, they are our bedrock, our yardstick, a gold standard, they are the very things that keep us up and we dismiss them at our peril. Uh, Timothy in the New Testament is told by Paul to devote himself to studying and to reading and to teaching and to preaching. What is it he's supposed to be studying and teaching and preaching? He's supposed to be studying and teaching and preaching the scriptures. And as I said, the apostles, of course, um, didn't just study and teach and endorse and encourage the reading of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, they wrote uh, the new ones. They wrote the New Testament. They wrote the New Testament recording the life and the sayings of Jesus and how we are to live our lives uh, with him and in him and through him. And in the following generations, the early church engaged with the inspired writings of the apostles. They collected, they collated, and they treasured them, recognizing their authority alongside the Old Testament. They held the two together, both the old and the new. They embraced it, they devoted themselves to it. The early church looked to the writings of the apostles, and the apostles looked on the life of Jesus and the writings of the Old Testament. And that was how they framed their lives. It was inconceivable to them that they would somehow seek to follow Jesus without reference and recognition of the supreme authority of the revelation of God in and through this book, through which um, God has mysteriously made himself known. They were people of the book because they were the people of God. And we are to be a people of the book because we are the people of God. Have you not read the scriptures? Jesus had. The apostles had. Um, Satan has. Satan quotes the scriptures to Jesus and in doing so tries uh, to twist them and make Jesus march to the beat of the devil's uh, drum and use his, Satan's interpretation and application and understanding of them. Satan twisted the word of God right from the get-go, right from the very beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve. He said, did God really say? Did God really say? Challenging God's words, putting a question mark over God's decrees. Um, Satan hates the scriptures. He hates the scriptures because the scriptures expose his nature and his plans, his modus operandi, as well as his final destiny. Um, Satan hates the scriptures because they reveal his arch nemesis, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, um, King Jesus, the conqueror of sin and hell and death and the one who's going to overthrow the demonic forever. Satan doesn't want us engaging with that. Satan knows the scriptures bring us closer to God, knows that they bring us life, knows that they bring us salvation, knows that they bring us nourishment 
and he wants us kind of starving and far from God. It's much more convenient for the enemy to, for our Bibles to remain on our shelf, collecting dust. He's always sought to keep us from it, and if he can't keep us from it, he'll seek to twist its meaning and sets himself up as the interpreter of the world of the word. Uh, every oppressive regime has tried to suppress the Bible. They kind of bury it, burn it, or do something else uh, with it, or ban it. You know, this book holds up a mirror to darkness. It, it holds up a light, uh, exposes darkness, and darkness doesn't want the light. This is a book of light. It's like a torch, the lamp to our feet. Have you not read the scriptures? Jesus has, the apostles have, Satan has, um, the martyrs have. In Acts uh, chapter 7, we read of the stoning of Stephen, the first uh, Christian martyr, and in his speech to the Sanhedrin, we haven't got time to go into it all now, he gives this long uh, narrative account of the story of the Old Testament before he's stoned. Stephen had clearly read the scriptures. Uh, in AD um, uh, 303, the Roman emperors uh, Diocletian, uh, Maximian, uh, Galerius and Constantius, who were knocking around at the time, they issued a series of edicts which effectively rescinded uh, Christians' legal rights at the time and demanded that they comply with uh, traditional religious practices. And it became what was, in effect, the last and most severe persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire, um, otherwise known as the Great Persecution. And what this meant in, in practice for many was that they... They were required, they were either to bring their um, sacred scriptures to be thrown into the fire, or they risked being thrown into the fire themselves. They risked being burned at the stake. And, and many readily handed over their sacred uh, texts. And they were subsequently labeled um, traditore in Latin, uh, from which is uh, where we get our very topical word, Traitor. And it literally means to hand over. They were the ones who handed over. And it was first used and coined of Christians who would rather hand over the book to the flames than be handed over themselves. But a whole bunch of people didn't, um, and they stepped into the flames rather than handing over their scriptures. Uh, in 1517, the Reformation began um, with Luther's kind of rediscovery, if you like, of the scriptures and seeing that as being something that he could take at its word, something that set him free. And as a result, uh, Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms, Diet of Worms, uh, which isn't something about what you eat, it's this, the assembly of the Holy Roman Empire in a place called Worms in Germany. And he famously said this. He said, unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. Courageous, brave man. Could we say the same? And if we said the same, would we know what we were actually saying? 
Luther did. He was found guilty. He was sentenced as an outlaw, which basically meant that anyone who wanted to kill him could take a pop at him and not face charges. Uh, he got rescued by some German princes. They hid him away in a castle in Wurtburg. Uh, he spent a year or so in hiding uh, where he translated the New Testament and the Reformation took off. Meanwhile, here in England, uh, a few years after Luther, Mary I, uh, otherwise known as Bloody Mary, uh, she began uh, martyring some 300 uh, men, women, and children. Uh, the first of them was a chap called John Rogers. He'd been involved with translating the Bible with Tyndale. Um, another of Mary's victims uh, chronicled in Fox's Book of Martyrs was a chap called Roland Taylor, who, when he was taken to the stake, uh, again for his involvement in Bible translation and also because he would not um, uh, align with the Catholic Church. Uh, he was just uh, permitted a few last words, and his um, last words were this. Good people, I have taught you nothing but God's holy word and those lessons that I have taken out of God's blessed book, the Holy Bible, and I come here this day to seal it with my blood. The Oxford martyrs, um, Rad, uh, Ridley, Latimer, Cranmer. You know, what were they martyred for? Was it just some kind of political power play? All the martyrs, they were given a chance to recant, but they said no. Why? Because they discovered the truth of God's word, this book, and they wanted to live by it, even if that put them at odds with the Catholic Church at the time and sent them to the stake. And there in Oxford, history was written uh, in the blood of the saints who loved not their life unto death, but who loved the Lord who had given them this book. Have you not read the scriptures? Jesus had, the apostles have, Satan has, the martyrs have. And it's a question we need to ask of ourselves. Have we not read the scriptures? And if not, why not? Why not? This is a book that tells us that we are sons and daughters of the living God, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We are clothed with garments of salvation. We are arrayed, arrayed in robes of his righteousness. This is a book that reveals our God, that reveals that we are his. We are chosen from all eternity. We are made in the secret place, woven together in the depths of the earth where his eyes saw our unformed body where all the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be. This is a book that tells us about our destiny and our glory in him with the glorious King Jesus. But for many, it remains just a closed book gathering dust on the shelf. You know, do you ever feel anxious? Have you not read the scriptures? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not, the, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and gone tomorrow. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you not read the scriptures? Do we find ourselves feeling lonely? Have we not read the scriptures? Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, for I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ephesians 3, 17, Christ dwells in your heart by faith. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is near. God is in us. You know, we all know it. We all sing it. We all worship songs to it. We, we preach it. We teach it. But do you know that he actually is near? He is actually in you right now. Do we actually know that? Know that. God is with us. Have you read the scriptures? You're feeling ashamed. Have you read the scriptures? Romans 8, 1. Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So much of what we need is right here in this book, and yet so often we are not here to get what we need. You know, you find yourself faced with a big decision. Have you not read the scriptures? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It's all here. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, there's parts of it that we really struggle with and wrestle with and grapple with, as we've touched on over the last couple of weeks. But it's all here. It's all in this book. It's all in the book of God, the book of life, the bread of heaven. Have we not read the scriptures? Because if not, we might want to ask ourselves, why not? And perhaps think about how we might re-engage with this book over the course of this coming year as we seek to live with Jesus. Why don't you stand and celebrate?